This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com/trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Literary Treks, our Star Trek books and comics show. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me once again this week, back to stay, is my esteemed co-host, Matthew Rushing. Matthew, how has your week been going up there in your new home of Tacoma, Washington? Well, Chris, it's been going pretty well here. It has been kind of warm. You know, and and what's funny about that is, is that here it doesn't really get that warm. Right. And unfortunately, that also means that I think in Tokyo, y'all don't have a lot of of, um, air conditioners. Right. We don't have central air like in the States with all the... Right. We do in office buildings, but not in homes. Exactly. What's funny is that here in Tacoma, there's not a lot of houses or apartment buildings specifically that are built with central air. And so don't have it here either. And yesterday it was in the 90s and it made it quite warm. Uh, And I work from home, so I have all the windows open, you know, got the fans on and stuff. And so it was quite warm, Um, but it's beautiful here. I really do like it. It, It's been a a great place to live and I I really enjoyed it. I had uh, my girlfriend's family uh, visit last night and we went out to dinner and they came over and we went to the little playground area we have and everything so it was a lot of fun uh it's it's been a good place to be how about you chris well it sounds a lot nicer than the planet we're going to talk about in the feature today in lost apollo sounds like a much better place to live than that well it was great because (laughs) um i went outside and there wasn't any rapid transformation of uh, of me just kind of like evolving into some sort of three-eyed wolf-like alien thing, which yeah. would have really scared the kids, I think. It would have scared the kids. Yeah, it, it, sure. it would not have been good, Chris. <laughs> so none of that yeah. happens. Um, everybody's okay. So <laughs> good, good to know, good to know. All right. Well, let's jump into the news here, Matthew. But before we jump into the news, we want to remind you about our reviews promotion. And we'll give you the details at the end of the show. But it's a way for you to win some great Star Trek prizes like Star Trek Blu-rays and books and ships. And all you need to do to enter the drawing is to review one of our shows on iTunes and or Stitcher between now and July 31st. And we'll, again, give you all the details at the end of the show about what you need to do and how you can enter. But we want to make sure that you know that that's out there so you can take advantage of it. All right, Matthew, we have some book news about next year. We're already thinking ahead to 2015. A bit of the schedule has come out, some blurbs as well. We know what we're going to get, especially in the first quarter of the year. Well, Chris, this is exciting for me. Uh, I always love knowing what's going to come out um, you know, we've got the, the the new schedule here 
some great stuff at the beginning. One, we're going to start with Deep Space Nine, Chris. Uh, we're going to be starting with The Missing by Una McCormick, one of our favorites. We love Una. Um, and I'm really excited because I want to see more Deep Space Nine books, Chris. I, I, you know, specifically yeah. books that are labeled Deep Space Nine. And this just hasn't happened a lot. Well, if I remember correctly, didn't Una tell us that this book was originally going to be a TNG novel and then it became a DS9 novel? I believe you're right, Chris. And I think yeah. one of the things is they are seeing the need to, to maybe bring that, that series back. And let's hope that's the case. Now, one of the things also, I think, maybe just story-wise, Chris, you know, Cisco is is on his own ship now. And, and so many people have kind of floated away from Deep Space Nine. With what David did in the Typhon Pack series, um, they he brought back Miles O'Brien and the family back to Deep Space Nine because he was the one who was going to build the new one with Nog. So you've had him return. You've got Bashir there. Uh, of course, now Bashir's gone at the moment, you know, being locked away in some sort of prison uh, because of his actions um, in the Typhon Pack series that we just had, The Fall. And, uh, you know, Kira's gone. Odo is actually back. He's on this side of the wormhole since it's it's closed again. The thing is, to me, though, you know, Deep Space Nine isn't the same without Cisco being there. So right. I don't know, Chris. Uh, to me, I feel like we what we need to, to kind of really bring the series back to a prominence is, and, and you know, Riker has been made an admiral. Um, I think that's an interesting storyline. It's it's definitely going to make for an interesting storyline in one of the books here. Takedown, uh, which is going to involve not only Riker as admiral, but Picard and Esri on the Aventine. But I think we, we we should really see Cisco as an admiral and have him on Deep Space Nine. Uh, that way, you can still keep Roe as captain, and he could be a part of all the action. And that's yeah. his area of the the you know the galaxy as as admiral. It just makes sense to me. In in the same way, um, David R. George the Third had uh, Harriman as an admiral at large uh there in that part of the 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 um the galaxy in his time period so right i don't know to me it seems like that would really help create a, a more cohesive feel for deep space nine because you know tng when you have a book about tng it either involves picard or Riker, somebody very noticeable you know right now in deep space nine rose captain you know and 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 I I mean no disrespect to to Daniel but she's not going to sell <laughs> books when you put her on the front cover right well you know, especially you... not to DS9 fans exactly I think, the, I think that your point is excellent because the relaunch novels that we're going through bit by bit here on the show those are great because we still have enough of the characters we're familiar with and we're still picking up the pieces of the series and following through with the threads that were left unresolved in what you leave behind. But at this point, there are so many new characters that have come and gone that as a Niner, I'm not sure that people are as engaged in the nature of the station as it is right now. And therefore, we're not getting those Deep Space Nine books. That's It's just how the expanded universe has evolved. 
Right. And I think it's great, you know, that they've had different characters kind of go different ways that, you know, the way that they ended Deep Space Nine, they kind of sent everybody off. It it was very much the, the antithesis to the next generation where everything stayed mm-hmm. exactly the same, except for Picard comes to join the, the game. Um, and it was a nice moment of growth there, finally. But Deep Space Nine really breaks it down and saying, look, this is the nature of the universe. Everything kind of goes its own way in this in this kind of uh, you know especially with people but at the same time i don't think there's anything wrong with star trek keeping crews more together yeah um, i think yeah. it makes sense um we all kind of expect it anyway so I, I, we set aside that that realism for yeah. the enjoyment of the story of the characters that we love well here's a question is it unrealistic? I think that something, and I just thought about this as you're talking about that, I think something that we do with Star Trek when we complain about, for example, with TNG, there are a lot of complaints that that crew stayed together too long and that these people should have moved on with their lives long before Nemesis. But I wonder if that's true because we are talking about the crew of a starship that is exploring deep space it takes a lot of time to do that. I think sometimes that we transfer our idea of careers and working in offices on Earth in the 21st century to starships. So whereas if you've been in a job for 11 years or 15 years, you can look at that and say, yeah, it's time to move on, do something different. But I don't know if that's really true when you talk about a starship. Maybe it's not unnatural for a crew to stay together for 15 years. Well, I definitely don't uh, think that, uh, you know, either, Chris. You, you look at the Enterprise-D, it's made to be out in space for about 20 years mm-hmm. before it really needs to come back, you know, to the Federation. The idea is it's a long-term exploratory vessel that is big enough to house families for that very mm-hmm. reason. So to have a crew together for 20, 25, 30 years, and especially when people live longer in the 24th century anyway, makes complete mm-hmm. sense to me. Yeah. Um, and, and it made sense too. Uh, you know, uh, say, even in the original series, why would the original crew stay together? Well, because Starfleet is well aware that Kirk and, and the crew of the Enterprise are the best that they have. And it's stated right. over and over again. And why wouldn't you keep that crew together exploring the unknown parts of the galaxy where no man or no one has gone before when they're the best at their jobs. And so it just really does make sense. And, you know, I mean, obviously one of the things that we see even today, um, you know, people get promoted into jobs they're not good at. Oh, yeah. Uh, And so, uh, you know, you promote somebody because they're good at their job, but they're good at their job. So you promoted them out of what they're actually good at. So. So so what you're saying, Matthew, is that Harry Kim sucks at his job <laughs> because Harry, he never got promoted. That he... <laughs> that or Harry Kim does his job so well okay. that you don't want to promote him. You don't want to promote exactly. him. Exactly. Okay. That was for yeah. Shar and Tristan. I don't believe that. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure that Harry Kim just sucks at his job. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's, anyway. let's get back to the rundown uh, of what's coming in 2015 here. We let our DS9 yes, we did. book uh, discussion well, I, sort of yeah. sidetrack us. But, but I think it's important because yeah. actually we talked about the second book a little bit, which is TNG Takedown by yes. John Jackson Miller, which will come in February with Una's The Missing coming in January. Then in March, we have Savage Trade, a TOS novel by Tony Daniel. 
really exciting. I enjoyed Tony Daniels' uh, book. And in fact, the blurb for this came out, Chris. Um, it says that uh, the, the Enterprise under the command of, of Kirk is en route to an extreme, the extreme edge of the Alpha Quadrant, which is exciting. I always love when they're in a you place think we like haven't. there's like a sign there that says you are entering the Beta Quadrant? Yeah, it, uh, kind of like, you know, like in those old uh, Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote you know, cartoons uh-huh. where like it would say just dead end in the middle of okay. nowhere. Yeah, kind yeah. of like that. I'm sure it's what it's like. I see it floating in space with like little booster rockets at the bottom. So they just stay there. There you place. go. Yeah. Uh, so they're going to be going to the Vera Nebula. And the mission is to investigate uh, why a science outpost has not been answering all the Federation hails. Uh, they arrive, and, and this is really cool. Their mystery is, is they scan for life forms and there aren't any on the science station. Um, but they quickly discover the signs of a violent firefight. So apparently this place has been entirely raided, yet there are no bodies and the entire roster of the station's personnel are just missing. So that's really interesting to me. And I, I enjoyed Tony Daniels broke last year with the Horda, not a species that we had seen much before. And so this one, it really seems like, uh, Tony's going to be dealing with some things we might not have ever seen before in Star Trek, really making some cool things up. So that's exciting for me. Cool. That sounds like a good one. Now, we have an Enterprise book coming in April, which we're really excited about. The next book in the Rise of the Federation series from Christopher L. Bennett, Uncertain Logic. This is exciting, Chris. You know, we've been big fans of this series. And this one looks really cool. You know, years ago... Archer and T'Pol help unearth the writings of Surak, and they created this whole reform movement on Vulcan, which I thought was one of the most amazing stories in Enterprise. It, it, it made so story. much sense, and very cool. It, it, it had a lot of correlations of, of what have ha- what has happened in, in, in religious and philosophical thought here on, in uh, our planet. And so what's neat about this book is they say that the discovery is seemingly proved to be fraud. And huh, a scandal really erupts there on Vulcan, and the whole warlike regime is trying to come back. And so Admiral Archer and DePaul and the crew of the Endeavor are there to investigate and help their Vulcan allies. And they have no idea who the real mastermind is behind this, apparently. Now, is there going to be, are they going to pick up the Romulan Vulcan reunification thing that they hinted at at the end of Enterprise and is Vrenak going to be there holding the Kirshara and saying it's a fake let's hope so because that would make for an awesome scene although I don't <laughs> think that Vrenak's that old uh, no it would be so, like Vrenak's great grandfather there you go maybe. That it's actually a family saying it it's is a, a family fake saying. <laughs> uh, like my old great grandpa <laughs> used to say <laughs> It's a fake. Uh, so, meanwhile, that long-forgotten piece of technology that we saw in the original uh, uh, Enterprise episode there that was the kind of the teaser at the end of the last Enterprise book is going to be coming back. And, and Malcolm Good. Reed is going to be looking at that with the, the Pioneer and attempting to traffic di- track it down with the help of his old friend Trip Tucker. So, this is exciting, too. I You know, Great storylines kind of coming together here. And I'm wondering if, you know, they're just going to be parallel storylines or if there's going to be some way that they intertwine. So hmm. looks like Christopher Bennett's got 
a lot of fun and a lot of mystery in store for us in this book and honestly quite epic i mean shaking up the uh the vulcans this way i think is a bold move yeah 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 i really love what he's doing with rise of the federation so i'm looking forward to that one and then in may we have dave gallanter's crisis of consciousness this is another tos novel so it looks like, Chris, uh, we'll be getting, you know, a few TOS novels here, not an overload as we had uh, a few right. years ago. But this one looks really interesting. The Enterprise is completing a diplomatic mission to Mabus, which, you know, I, I, the original series had a lot of uh, diplomatic missions, but then the TNG came and it was like they were always on a diplomatic mission. Right. It's like they didn't have any other mission but to be on diplomatic missions. Our ongoing so, diplomatic mission. Exactly. <laughs> it's in the opening, end. right? <laughs> it's just the diplomatic mission that never ends. It goes on and <laughs> on, my friend. <laughs> so apparently they're an alien race that has recently signed a treaty with the Federation. And the Mavis are peaceful people who are not native to the star system that they inhabit, but they're refugees from a, a war a long time ago. And so they took shelter on this planet. It reminds me a little bit of the Sona, where they, they came to a planet that they weren't originally from. They've been there for thousands of years, and they are warp capable, but they don't travel to the stars. So basically, really, the Sona. Oh, so um, they're like the Baku. It, uh, yeah, the Sona and the Baku, very much yeah. the same uh, here in, in this way. So the Federation interest in the Mavis is, is their great intellectual resources, which is interesting because, you know, a lot of times it's usually just some sort of physical resource, like we, we need their dilithium or something like that, or some right. other made-up substance that Starfleet ships can't run without. Yeah, pentalithium. Exactly. Uh, which This is what's interesting is their science is actually behind Federation standards in some areas, whereas in others it, it excels. And so their highly intelligent, unique approach and their philosophy is in line with the Federation. But just as they sign this pact, the Enterprise is attacked by an unknown ship. Um, they manage to show enough force to keep the alien vessel at bay, but a new danger arises as their mysterious foes are the Kenzians a race that used to inhabit this planet thousands of years ago, and now they want it back. Bum, bum, bum. Uh, they have an ancestral claim to this world. Well, this sounds interesting. This actually sounds like, although it, it does remind you of some storylines, like you said, with Insurrection, with the Baku a bit, with the Sona coming back, or also with the Communicator, which we just did on the Ready Room, the Enterprise episode, where... The Alliance side of the war has an, an ancestral claim against this other land, although that's within the planet. Overall, this sounds like some rather unique stuff here, unique ideas in this book. Yeah, it does. And so after that, um, we're going to be getting Dayton Ward's TNG book, Armageddon's Arrow, which we've um, had Dayton on. He's talked a little bit about. We've heard some things online. It's it's going to be kind of a, a, a TOS-y type book in the sense that it's going to be very exploratory. You know, mm -hmm. Picard and his crew are finally going to get back to that. That One of my favorite quotes, I think, from Insurrection. Does anybody used to remember when we used to be explorers? Right. That was before season one, right? That was before exactly. the show actually aired. Right. Because you were kidding. on that never ending, <laughs> you know, diplomatic mission. So the diplomatic mission that never ends. Yes. So that's June. <laughs> and then apparently this book has been on and off the list several times and it's changed and it's been delayed. But 
right now it's it's on Amazon listed as uh, October fifth uh, or October 2015, Shadow of the Machine by Scott Harrison, and and this one is I believe after. Uh, the motion picture and, and quite soon after the motion picture. Oh, that's picture. right. I remember. And so this is exciting. This I, you know, mm. we've been getting a lot of books, Chris, in this um, time period between the motion picture and the Wrath of Khan, which again, we talked about, I think last week, this this whole era, this movie era is rife for writing TOS books. So if yeah. you ask me, stop writing TOS books in the original five-year mission because it's been done. Start giving us books in the movie era because you've got a whole new world that just really hasn't been touched, except for movies that take maybe three weeks, if not maybe a month out of these people's lives. Right. There's 20 years of history that you could fill. So. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I don't want them to completely stop writing five-year mission books, but instead of setting most of the books during the five-year mission, it would be great, as you say, to fill in the gaps. Exactly. In, in the story. So, well, that's what we have on the list so far coming up in 2015. I imagine that a few more books could be added. I don't want to speak for Margaret here, but they could be, you know, July, November, December have nothing listed at the moment. So we'll wait and see, but a lot of great stuff right here. And then the other book that's coming up that's not a novel is Fine with Kirk and Spock by Rob Perlman, which we've talked about a bit here. And we've actually got some excerpts, don't we, Matthew? Yeah, Chris, this was fun. Uh, the official site, StarTrek.com, gives a great interview with Rob Perlman, who is the author of Fun with Kirk and Spock. And he was just talking about the ideas behind it. Obviously, this is a parody of the classic Dick and Jane series. And uh, it's it's kind of just new, simplified. And he says it's kind of fun to look at those iconic moments and characters from the original series and, and just do a good job of kind of twisting them, making them as funny as they actually were, if you think about it from a certain point of view, uh, right. in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, uh, it, it's kind of cool. He was talking about, they asked him, how do you really make this something that, um, you know, uh, appeals to kids and and to, to adults? And he said that he figured that if his inner child was laughing at the same thing that the rest of the readers of all ages probably would be, and uh, really, this is, he said, it's sort of a children's book for adults. So the biggest challenge was kind of to distill an episode or a character or a situation that had so many different things going on into a brief story that would fit within this kind of, you know, Dick and Jane style. And so mm -hmm. they did ask him, I thought that was great. Could you imagine a next generation follow up? And he said that he could, you know, kind of all of the, the Picard and number one, he said, he already has the idea for see the Borg, see the Borg assimilate story, and it's already written. So I thought that was funny. <laughs> Definitely check this out. Go check out our show notes because uh, StarTrek.com had some great artwork to go with this from the book itself. It does look like a lot of fun. It looks like those classic uh, fun with Dick and Jane stories. And I think it's um, I think this is going to be something that people are going to pick up for that Star Trek fan in their life, even if they don't like Star Trek, but it's going to be a great holiday gift or something that you put in a stocking. Or, you know, if you're like us, Chris, you're walking in the bookstore and you see this and you walk up to, to the, to the counter and you're like, that's right. I'm a Star Trek fan. Deal with it. <laughs> yeah. We were talking about this, uh, not this particular book, but we were talking about on the ready room this week, 
marketing Star Trek and how it differs from marketing Star Wars and how Star Wars is much better at getting kids involved in the franchise through their merchandising. And I actually mentioned uh, the pop-up books, and this plays into that as well. These types of books I like to see because they do introduce Star Trek to children in a fun way that can then help them become Star Trek fans as they grow up, which is great for the franchise in the long term. You know, Chris, what was really interesting is that one of the listeners was just asking me the other day on Twitter, they had had a whole plan for Star Trek books to come out in the teen kind of framework. Uh, you know, so if you went to the bookstore, they would be in the teen section in a Barnes and Noble with the new crew from the 2009 series. And then they just stopped. They, they, they pulled all that out and, and they decided, no, we're not going to do this. It just seems like to me that this was a great idea because one, it would get kids who had seen the movie something that they'd want to do. And, and these characters were perfect for those teen era you know, uh, guys and girls who liked Star Trek and, and really wanted more with these characters. Yeah, you yeah. know, we have the comics, which is great for those super nerds. But like, <laughs> you know, I do think that a, a teen who had just seen, you know, 2009 specifically and, and then had gone into the bookstore and seen books aimed at them with those same characters that are hip and fun and sexy. I mean, you pick that up and, and that's that's a great way to get more people involved. I just don't understand why they haven't done more of that kind of thing. Um, and I think they're just kind of yeah. losing the demographic in some ways because that was the whole point in some ways of getting a younger, hipper cast in oh, right. yeah. is to market to the younger generation. And so I don't know. Uh, hopefully this, like you said, this will be something that we'll see more of. Like we had last year, you know, the um, visual dictionary by DK was fantastic. Right. And like mm -hmm. we said... Great way to introduce your kids to Star Trek with right, the pictures and the, everything. It was lacking for those of us who know so much about Star Trek from watching it so many years that we are, you know, looking for the depth of like a Star Trek encyclopedia, perhaps. It was kind of thin for that. But for the purpose of introducing kids to Star Trek, it was quite effective. Yeah, and it was put together well. So, so we'll see. Hopefully... CBS will expand the marketing, I hope, of Star Trek beyond trinket merchandise, which we see so much of these days, you know, and dog collars and things like this, into more things like, like what's being done here with fun with Crook and Spock that, that does help grow the franchise. Well, that's all we have in news this week. Matthew, before we go into our feature where you and I are going to discuss Lost Apollo, the two-part comic that came out while you were away on your Section 31 moving mission, let's tell everyone about our sponsor for today's show, Audible.com. We tell you about Audible every week. They're the best source of audiobooks that you'll find anywhere. I can personally vouch for them because I've been an Audible customer for 14 years and I have hundreds of Audible books in my library. I listen to one of them, at least a part of one of them, every single day, just about. We like to recommend a Star Trek book for you because you can get a book of your choice absolutely free for trying Audible if you just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up for the trial. Matthew, I was trying to think what we could recommend today, and 
I've been talking a lot about Vulcans recently. We did a Vulcan show on Warp 5 as well. And in thinking about Spock, there is a famous book by A.C. Crispin called Yesterday's Sun. It's a Spock story where they go to the planet that's called Gateway, which is where the Guardian of Forever is. And Spock, Kirk, and McCoy have just returned from a voyage through the Gateway with a very interesting young man named Zar, who, as it turns out, is Spock's own son from ancient Sarpedon. That is interesting, Chris. What a great follow-up to all our yesterdays. Um, you know, Spock having relations uh, with a woman, not seen very much in Star Trek, but um, what a good idea to to take that and and give him a son. Why they would be going back through the Guardian of the Galaxy alone makes me want to listen to this book because I'm a little worried. I, I, I would think that Kirk would have learned his lesson. <laughs> they don't learn. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, Spock would have learned his lesson. I know he was able to affect his own life through the TAS episode where he goes back in time. And I just think the Guardian of Forever might be better left alone. <laughs> it would be. But the twist in this story is that the Guardian of Forever has fallen into the hands of the Romulans. Okay, that makes sense. Now we got to go get it back. I right, got gotcha. because they can use it as a weapon and they there have you to go. be stopped. So, so check out this book. Like I said, it's a, it's a, a famous story by A.C. Crispin. It's narrated by Leonard Nimoy and James Doohan both. So you've got tag team narration going right here. And you can get this free just for trying Audible. Go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. And you can choose any other book you want as well. If you've read Yesterday's Sign or if you're not interested in this story, just choose what you want. If at the end of the trial you decide not to stick with Audible, there's nothing to lose. You get to keep this book. But by trying Audible, you're really helping us out here at Literary Treks. You're helping us keep the show coming to you every week. And we really thank Audible for their support of the show and the network. Well, Chris, as everybody knows, um, I did miss a few weeks. I'd say more than a few weeks, honestly, um, because I was moving up here to the Northwest. And because of that, we actually missed a few comics. And I was a little disappointed with that because I've really been enjoying the ongoing comic series. It's always surprising. I never know quite what we're going to get. Sometimes we get a really great storyline, and sometimes we get ones that uh, feel like we've seen before. So uh, this, though, I thought was an interesting idea. I had no idea what was coming. I, I honestly try to stay away from the spoilers and the previews that come out. I don't read those. I don't look at those. I want to be able to open the comic and not really know what's coming because I really want to be able to experience the story a lot of the ways that I did a Star Trek episode where right. it would come on TV. I may have only seen the teaser at the end of the, you know, the last episode and that was it, but I don't really want to know. I, I just want to be able to jump in. And so Chris, we had missed the lost Apollo series. And I know you talked a little bit about it and, and, and did uh, kind of a, a surface review, but we're going to go ahead and go through this together and just talk about the storyline, the artwork, and those kind of things like we normally do. Uh, and we're going to do that for the feature today, which is fun. Most likely, that means everybody's read this. So, obviously, spoiler alert, we are going to talk about it this in depth like we normally do. But, uh, Chris, just getting in, you open this comic. It doesn't start off with a Star Trek page. Uh, we're back in the 70s in Florida 
Uh, what were your first thoughts when you got here? Uh, my first thought was that I accidentally purchased the I Dream of Ginny comic. Yeah, but, I, I it, it makes sense. Uh, the I Dream of Jeannie, it actually looks like they had finally gotten married. Um, yeah. And she, you know, she's obviously pregnant. And yeah, that's and actually the, pretty funny. I didn't think about that. But that and the artist like. couldn't really draw Barbara Eden. So I, I kind of, I don't know. I, I guess when I looked at the cover and I'm thinking Lost Apollo. Well, what do you think? So it's, we know that it's TOS era. It's the abrams verse we've been accustomed to them playing off of existing stories so when you hear lost apollo maybe at first you think that it's going to be the god apollo like they're going to follow up on that i thought about that chris but i actually thought maybe this was going to be a uh Battlestar Galactica crossover, and we were going to run okay. into Apollo from from you know Ronald D. Moore's Battlestar Galactica, and they were going to okay. do a big crossover event. So well, I thought also maybe that it was a follow up to Rocky, and Apollo had fallen through some sort of vortex and ended up on an alien world. See, that would have been really interesting too. So I think we just came up with two great ideas for Lost <laughs> Apollo Part Three and Four. Yeah, and that's exciting, but. This All was, right. Was so, so what did I really think about it, though, going in? It, it became clear right away that we're talking about Apollo, the moon landers, and the Apollo program, because we can see we're dealing with an astronaut here and, and his wife. I was really happy to see that at last we truly are on a five-year mission with this crew, and we're actually exploring a world we've never seen before, and we're not using any existing TOS material as a crutch. That, Chris, and I'm really struck by the artwork here on this page when you get to the Enterprise. I, I think that it looks really amazing. Um, you do have some great lighting effects on the ship, giving it a nice shine. Uh, you, you know, you've got that 2009 into darkness look and everything's spot on, I think. The ship actually looks pretty beautiful. And, you know, I'm not, we're not huge fans of the, the new JJ Enterprise, but it looks great in this shot. Great artwork here. Uh, I'm going to compliment right now the artwork throughout this series. I think that it looks really good. I think the characterization is very good for the characters. And so I really like that here. And I'm excited because, you know, you start there in the 70s and then you get to this page and it says 291 years later. <laughs> right. Bum, bum, bum. So, you know, obviously there's going to be some kind of connection. And, Although before that, he tells, this astronaut tells his wife that, It'll be years before we're ready to launch. And then 291 years later. But, but of course, you know that certainly he's launched by then. Right. I don't think that he went out on the Enterprise. <laughs> right. <laughs> Speaking of the artwork, jumping ahead just slightly here to when they go down to the planet, I love the use of the comic format here with the artwork because I imagine that if the original series were made today with computer technology where they actually could create these immersive environments that are actually just green screens. This is what the original series probably would have looked like. The use of color in here, the kind of alien. They couldn't really do very alien stuff very well with what they had to work with, but you do have the Gorn, you have the Mugato. They, they were trying to do some unusual things. You've got the dog with horns, like antenna stuck on his head. 
Exactly. Luckily, there's not too many Mugato in this this comic. Right. I, not I was like a little worried that we were going to go there. But, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but, but what I'm getting at is that with the kind of stuff that they were trying to do on TOS, as cheesy as it came off because of what they had to work with, I think that what we see in this comic is what TOS would look like if it were done today. I agree. Uh, I, I think this is fantastic, especially, you know, you've got the purple sky, you've got the artwork here, and the, the characterization of this planet that reminds me of the Gold Key comics that just have been coming out, remastered and everything. Mm -hmm. Kind of some of those environments, just very sci-fi-ish, very classic comic alien uh, look. I really do like it. I think it looks fantastic. It really does add to the story. Now, I did think that kind of jumping back is that they get to the planet. Obviously, Spock wants to do the thing that Vulcans want to do, which is just take pictures from space. And right. Kirk's like, uh, we've been looking at gaseous giants. We've been looking at mudless, you know, mud-filled planets and you know barren rocks in space we finally get to one where we can go explore it and you just want me to stay here i don't think so um <laughs> i thought that was a good characterization of chris pines kirk in particular because mm -hmm. i mean i think in tos prime kirk he would also want to go down to the planet but the abrams verse kirk very much being so much younger definitely wants to go down there and find out what's going on well, in the TOS, you know, it just seemed like normal standard procedure that you went down with a landing party to check it out. You know, this one seems to be a little bit more rooted in the idea of Spock falling to Paul in the sense exactly. that we don't yeah. need to go down to every planet and take a look at it. And I, I actually think that that's some great, you know, cross pollinization between Enterprise and this new, because that's the only series that is for sure happened in the in this other universe oh that's, a, that's so a really good point because i did think of paul right away I like this spock mm -hmm. is very much like to paul in that we don't need to go down we can do everything from orbit mm -hmm. what i loved here is is that uh sulu really wants to go and the, the captain's like i no, i i've got enough scientists you know i, I need you here and uh, I love how Carol Marcus sticks up for Sulu and she, the classic, you owe me one. And she's like, yeah, you do. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was great because one, it showed some characterization for Carol. But two, it, it does a great job of just having that fun little interplay that you would get on the original series or, you know, it, it, any of the other series with the characters that these people, you know, they're on the five-year mission now. They're they're a little looser and they're becoming more of a family. And that little scene just kind of showed that I thought really well. I also think that it hints that there's a lot of something going on behind the scenes with Kirk and Carol Marcus at this point, because she jumps right in and then Kirk says under his breath, like, this is how mutiny starts. And then he says, okay, Sulu, meet us at the transporter. So it's like him whispering under his breath to Carol. It, it felt to me like... There are a couple, and she's saying, you know, Jim, let him go. It does really hint that that he has at least got a soft spot for her. Um, okay. I wasn't sure where you point. were going there with that, Matthew. Um, <laughs> that no, 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 no. It, he at <laughs> least... 
Let me think what I'm going to reveal here. <laughs> yeah, he he's he's got a he's got a big soft spot for her at this point, and um, it, you can tell I think that as well that he, they have created a, a a bond that they yeah. you know might be different than anyone else that he would have with the crew, and so I I think that that was also just a fun thing. It's done very well with the writing here because it's not explicit. It's just it's a great undertone, uh, right. and to be able to yeah. do that in the minimalist sense of i mean you know these aren't those old comics that we've read where there's copious amounts of text all over the page (laughs) you know these are these are comics where it's it's much more minimal we're going to only say kind of what we need to say and to give you that kind of subtext now that's pretty good um and and it it, it's created a um I, i just this is what i expect from the uh ongoing comics this is kind of what i think we wanted is is just right. to have this crew yeah, start definitely. to feel like the original series in some ways that's but what i've been wanting like, if they're going to go on a five-year mission i want them to go on a five-year mission and explore like they're doing in this comic even though i mean a lot of the story elements on this comic i can see them being pulled from various episodes throughout star trek but nevertheless it does feel like an original story yeah definitely um when, when we go down to the planet now, tell me about the, the first thing I thought of. I talked about how this does feel like this is how the original series would be done. But I also felt a little Jim Henson here. It felt a little like Fraggle Rock, like these giant fraggles running by. It does have that kind of feeling to it, Chris. Uh, I mean, it, you do have these huge flying beasts in the air. and then the, the- Well, the pink guys that look like ostriches without heads and they have flowers for heads uh, actually or to me that that's straight out of jurassic park um okay. that scene you know where they're the the doctor and the two kids are walking on on that big open field and all of a sudden the gallimidas is coming straight at them and they almost get run over that you could tell these guys like their movies and they'll throw well, in little references all over the place <laughs> what it reminded me of was douglas adams in mostly harmless when there's this planet and there's this herd of creatures like this that just run across the desert. And the person there tells them, I don't mind them at all. Those are the perfectly normal beasts. And they say, why are they called perfectly normal beasts? And he says, well, oh, that's just the name I gave them so that the locals wouldn't worry about them. (laughs) Don't mind them. They're perfectly normal. Because these guys, they run past here, but they don't bother the landing party at all. They just keep going. Right. I, that's funny. And, and kind of in the same way, like a flock of birds just kind of flies by and they don't pay any attention to you. Right. Uh, yeah. I love to the little scene here that and Kirk says, Zara, I sense your phaser trying to jump into your hand. <laughs> and she's like, just ready for anything. That's she's, what a good chief of security would do. <laughs> she's a little bit like Yar, isn't she? Uh, she is. She's a little trigger happy, but uh, she has she seems to have a little more sense than Yar so far. Uh, she seems to you know, not get herself killed by tar monsters yet. So that's good. That's right. So I love this. You know, they're they're seeing all these very strange things. They, they've got these uh, like butterfly type things that are apparently like pure energy. Well, she says they're like living energy. Yeah, that's uh, why uh, Carol Marcus really, says. Yeah, which is really interesting. And then uh, one of the landing party in Orion picks up something metallic, which shouldn't be on this planet because from all their scans so far, there's been nothing here that suggests any kind of life. And so they end up in a cave. And I love here, Kirk goes, 
you can go ahead and grab your phaser now, Zara. And she's like, way ahead of you, Captain. <laughs> way ahead of you, yeah. Yeah, I like the Orion. This is Mr. Kai. What I like about him is that he's been in the comic all the way through. They're they're keeping him there, and he's a member of the landing party. You remember he was there in the Kittimore conflict as well, I believe it was, right, when they were captured on Kronos. Yeah, I think so, yeah. it, which means that Kirk has a much better, uh, this Kirk, uh, not losing in as many red shirts as, right. as the other Kirk, yeah. um, because we are getting some continuing characters. Can I go back just a couple of pages before we move on here? Because this cracked me up with Carol Marcus and Kirk when they first get down to the planet before they take their helmets off because they figure out they can breathe. It sounds like a commercial for this planet. Carol Marcus says, Captain, my tricorder's bursting with readings. There's so much life packed into every inch of this place. I could just see it as a TV commercial. <laughs> now with yes. more life bursting everywhere. The planet that you just want to visit because <laughs> there's life everywhere. Right. Says Carol Marcus. Visit beastandbutterflies.com <laughs> for your travel package. Yes. Oh, man. Well, they get into this cave, there are all of these skeletons, and they find something very strange here, and it looks like an old motherboard from yeah. some kind of, of 20th century technology, which they find is really odd. And then even more strange, Chris, is that they find wrapped in plastic, which apparently plastic has not been used since before warp drive was invented, according to Kirk, uh, is a picture of a NASA astronaut drawn by a kid in his little rocket ship flying yeah. away and it says daddy on it. And so yeah. now we know this is probably where our connection was to what we saw at the beginning of the comic. Uh, right. And that somehow this person uh, ha has ended up here, which I, they, again, great uh, little, uh, setup for the mystery i think it's it's really cool and then of course they walk out they're they're talking on the comms kirk is talking with spock and what should happen but a monkey that's right a monkey not the same monkey from resolutions but probably <laughs> his brother steals sulu's tricorder and sulu goes chasing after him you know I was just watching The Amazing Race last night, and to get the clue, they had to have a monkey come pick up a coconut and crack it open for them. And now we're reading this, and so there I'm seeing some inspiration. Yeah, exactly. And so they lose Sulu, and then something happens to them as they're talking to uh, the, the the Enterprise, and Kirk and the land that part of the landing party disappear. Kirk has asked for more security officers. And so Spock takes this as logically, that means I need to go down <laughs> right. with some security officers. So Kirk and Spock are off the ship now. Uhura <laughs> is in charge. Luckily, she's no Troy, and that you know, whole thing doesn't go down. Uh, the Enterprise does not end up crash on this planet. Now, <laughs> let's remember, Vulcans are logical, right? So Spock's logic here is that... Kirk asked for more security, but he asked me to get more security. Therefore, I need to go down to the planet and make sure he's okay. Perfect logic. Uh, it <laughs> makes sense from a certain point of view. So let me ask you this, though. The, the, the monkey runs away with the tricorder. 
And Mr. Kai, I believe it is, says, it's kind of hard to tell if this guy's green or if it's just shadows. I think it's Mr. Kai. It's just a tricorder, sir. Plenty more where those came from. And Kirk says, it's the prime directive, Mr. Kai. Okay, so yeah, it's Mr. Kai. One lost tricorder on an alien planet is a big deal. Do you feel a little bit like this is Kirk overcompensating for his screw up and into darkness, though? Because one lost tricorder on this planet I think is not as big of a deal as, say, McCoy leaving his communicator behind in a piece of the action or Reed leaving his behind in the communicator. Yeah, I think it's it's, it might not be overcompensation, but I think part of it is that Kirk just doesn't know what they're dealing with on this planet. So if there's some sort of technology here, it seems to be old, but who knows? I think what he's worried about is that somehow... There's something that doesn't belong in this planet, and they've got a hold of a tricorder. Who knows what's going to happen? I, I think that's probably his thought process. And I think you're right. He's just, in some ways, he's playing more by the book, which is let's not screw with the Prime Directive as much anymore because bad things happen when I do. So he's kind of learning. Yeah, exactly, which I, I think is actually uh, a good thing yeah. um, to see. And and, and it, it it's creating continuity with this series, and so... Well, if we move on through the rest of the first issue here, you know, they go searching, the landing party gets attacked, and then this creature, purple creature, like a, well, we don't know yet. I was going to say he's kind of like a space werewolf. We don't find that out until issue two, but he he's apparently huge. He's holding two members of the landing party in his claws. You talked about the drawing of the the daddy and the rocket being the setup for the mystery. Did you feel there was any great mystery here? Because while I found this interesting, I never for a moment wondered, what is this creature? Like I immediately said, okay, well, there's the astronaut. He ended up on this planet, which I already know because they found the paper. He's been transformed somehow. So going into issue two, I was curious to see how the story was going to play out. But there was no mystery for me about who is this creature or maybe what happened to him. Yeah, no real mystery other than, okay, how in the heck did he transform into this in 200 something years? You know, what is the, what is behind that? What is behind that? I think that was the most, yeah, exactly. So, you know, the second comic then kind of jumps back to 1972 you know, if we started the first one with 1970, so it did take a couple of years. Right, because she was pregnant at the beginning, and now his daughter right. is in bed. And so his, his daughter has drawn him this picture, and he takes it with her. And then, of course, then you go back to the pan- planet, and this um, werewolf dude with a million different eyes on his head <laughs> is just trying to rip the, the crap out of everybody on the landing party. And they keep shooting him. It's not working. And finally, they get him to, to run away. And they uh, wake up the captain. The captain and Carol are fine. And then I love the little line, Spock, I told you, told me what, Captain? I told you this planet would be interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. So they get it back up to the ship. I love this. I I do always like when we get a lot of, when we get some bones. There's not enough bones in the ongoing series, if you ask me. No, they've kind of made it Kirk Spock Uhura. As the yes. triumvirate yeah. in the Abrams verse. Yeah. 
But I, I love that that Kirk's like, I'm fine. And Bones is like, no, you're not. You have no idea what you could have picked up on this planet. Yeah. Um, and then Spock comes over to the comm and he's like, saved by the Vulcan. <laughs> <laughs> McCoy is really well written in this comic. It's It's classic. Bones. And of course, Carl Urban does such a great Bones that you almost feel like it's DeForest Kelly. Yet there's, to me, almost no caricature, no imitation going on there. Carl Urban just feels like Bones. And I can completely hear both Carl Urban's voice in all of this dialogue, as well as DeForest Kelly's voice. And in fact, the interaction between Kirk and Bones here feels as much like Shatner and Kelly as it does Pine and Urban. It really does. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, Chris, we were talking about whether or not there was a lot of mystery in in this comic series. And not a ton of mystery, but I think what they're doing is they're really just nailing these characters to the point where you are starting to feel like this could be the original series crew from the Prime Universe or the JJ-verse. Either one, they're, they're really starting to get some of these characterizations down and make this feel like a universe that we have lived in for a few years now. And, and the characters are getting comfortable. Uh, I like that. It feels more like an alternate timeline with the same people, like mm-hmm. our lives could turn out differently in multiple timelines mm-hmm. instead of a reboot of Star Trek, right? Definitely, yeah. definitely. Um, so... Kirk uh, goes up to the bridge and it brings Bones with him. And it turns out that Carol Marcus has found uh, something that she had on her suit during their quarantine. And it is 99.2% match for human DNA. Right. Which Bones, I thought, clearly points out, look, we've been traipsing around the galaxy for 100 years now. And we've realized we don't really have a monopoly on the double helix so this could just be something that's kind of related to us, but it could not be us. And so right. it, it, it was very interesting because then Kirk makes the, the point, look, I get what you're saying, Bones, and you're completely right. But why the heck did we find a drawing from an old astronaut on this planet? That just doesn't make any sense. Well, Matthew, look, we know from Traveling the Galaxy that we don't have a monopoly on Crayolas. This is true. This is true. I mean, there are planets all over the galaxy that love macaroni and cheese orange. And so (laughs) they just can't get enough of it. (laughs) What I liked is, is that Spock figures out that they've genetically analyzed the information that they've gotten and that the code of everything on this planet is being written constantly, which, okay, this is a great idea. But, Chris, I don't think there's any thought that this could happen (laughs) in any kind of reality. I mean, if your genetic code was completely being (laughs) rewritten at a moment's notice, your body would just fall apart completely. Right. Right? I mean, those creatures we talked about, as they ran past you, they would transform into something else, right? (laughs) Yeah. I I, I just, I don't know. It. I mean, I... It kind of goes with the whole werewolf thing, you know, where you you mutate into something really quickly. I get that. But I mean, I was just, I was actually thinking about this today. Okay, this is kind of an interesting scientific idea, but there's actually no scientific 
basis for this whatsoever no. because if something's code from the very being, the core of its being is being rewritten and changing it, like I can understand it's, if you're a werewolf and it's kind of magical because right. magic is helping you, yeah. but there's nothing magical about this. It's just bad science. It's more so. like this is a very interesting fantasy idea, not a science idea, or this is an interesting scientific concept if science worked in ways that simply are not possible. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but that's uh, what the Abrams verse is all about, right? So we just talked about how this comic in many, many ways feels so true to the original series in the prime timeline. One thing that is constant in the Abrams verse timeline is that science has been thrown out the window and we'll just make up whatever crap we want to make up if it helps us move the story along. And so I feel that's sort of what they've done here. I think in some ways too, Chris, what they're doing is is kind of this idea that, look, just go with it. <laughs> well, true. It's a comic. It's a story. It, it you know, I, it doesn't have to make complete sense to, to be fun and enjoyable. Right. And I think that's what was great about this story was when I thought about the actual science of it, it's ridiculous. But when I thought of it as a story idea, yeah, this is cool. I mean, it, we're talking about a sci-fi universe. Right. It's just supposed to be here to make good story. It's it's not supposed to be here to be good science. And always, you know, in Star Trek, definitely had no problem when it needed to being junk science to create a fun story. Sure. You know, we do that all the time. That's what techno babble was for. So at least they're not really techno babbling their way in this. You no, know, they're just kind of like Phanto babble. Fantasy. Yeah, exactly. Which is 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 actually a little bit more enjoyable because I kind of understand what they're saying. Uh <laughs> so Kirk has an idea. He beams down to the planet by himself him and Spock are having this whole conversation while he's he's on the planet. And I, I love this conversation because, again, you're, you're getting great characterization. Spock is protesting the fact that the, the captain is on the planet by himself. And Kirk's like, look, I'm never going to ask my crew to do something that I wouldn't do myself. And he's like, well, that's that's a great philosophy, Captain. But I don't know if it's the great philosophy to practice all the time. And... Um, Kirk's like, look, if things go south, just beam me off, bro. Which I think is funny because earlier when Sulu runs away, they can't just beam him off, apparently, or right. his tricorder. So uh, the, the, I, the thing about the Abrams verse that pisses me off is there is no rule whatsoever for when or how the transporter actually can work right. or should work. Well, only Chekhov knows how to beam things that are running at the same time. See, he's That's really true. good at targeting. Yeah. He's played he really a lot is. of Space yeah. Xbox, and he's really good at targeting things. Mm -hmm. Apparently, no one else can do that. So if Sulu takes off running, and Chekhov can't get to the transport or control panel in time, We're screwed. well, they got to chase Sulu down on foot. This is true. Well, so Kirk basically has gone down to the planet, and he approaches the thing here's him coming the yes. werewolf we'll call it which uh, seems here's to be him getting coming. bigger with each page yeah, he does <laughs> um but that's fine uh it's it's like any good fanciful story and so kirk holds up the piece of paper with the drawing on it and he says you remember this you've seen this before it and they get him they they pull up the werewolf in the transporter apparently you can transport something 
like this. I guess it's only because they maybe had, you know, the, the thing that Carol Marcus had pulled off her her suit and contamination. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Well, apparently they still have a contamination room like uh, the NX01 did. Oh, yeah. I don't want to see what Carol Marcus and Kirk do in there. I know. I, I feel like, and I think I think he hangs his sock on the <laughs> door out there. Thinking. He's like, don't come in. Captain's busy. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Like landing party comes up from some mission and they really need to be decontaminated and they go over and there's a tie hanging on the door to the decon <laughs> chamber. <laughs> there's the captain's braids there. Have you so seen you the captain? A- no, I haven't seen him. They call down to sick bay. Um, Dr. Marcus. I'm sorry, she's not here right now. <laughs> uh, but Dr. McCoy is. Can he help you with something? <laughs> I had a question so, here. He's showing the, the drawing to this creature, and he's luring the creature over, and he's saying, that's it, come on, come on. Can they only beam the creature up if it's in this one exact spot? Like, they can't beam the creature up if it's two feet over? My guess was, is this, Chris, is that with all the life on the planet, the transporter was having trouble distinguishing something, but it could distinguish something if it had Kirk as a frame of reference. Okay. Uh, because and, and that, that's, this is my only logic that made make sense. Okay, is that well, I guess With it Kirk makes as a frame of reference, the, the transporter and the computer could scan, you know, uh, you know, a few inches in front of him. Okay, I'll, Otherwise, I'll go with that. Yeah. That's, so anyway, that'll be in my head canon. So they pull the 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 creature up. They put it in a cage, which definitely looks like Jurassic Park and a Velociraptor's in there. <laughs> yeah. And before our very eyes, within moments, the the body begins to transform into the human, which Kirk has surmised. Look, I just figured that this had to be the case. It that. The, a, the alien that we even discovered was actually the human being. And if his body was transforming, it was just that his body was transforming in the same way that everything on this planet does to survive. And so he turns back into the human and uh, they wake him up in sickbay and they we hear his story. And of course, he's a little bit freaked out and shocked the fact that he's 300 years in the future. The fact that, you know, obviously his wife and his his, his daughter are dead. Uh, and then we, t- we get the story, which was that the Apollo missions weren't just going to the moon, but they were building a secret base on the dark side of the moon to test a nuclear-powered propulsion system. Now, the government knew that if it went badly humanity wouldn't react very well to that so they were hiding it because they wanted to test out this this propulsion system without basically the public eye yeah um which which in some ways kind of makes sense well it does make sense i mean if you look today we have potential propulsion systems that could help us explore the solar system but nasa if they try to launch them, they, you know, special interest groups come out, start complaining because there's some sort of plutonium power source in a satellite that they're going to launch. And what if the rocket were to explode and it fell back down to Earth, even though the rockets that they're using have been used successfully for decades and decades and decades without problems. And so I can see them feeling like if we're going to do something like this, we've got to go do it somewhere where no one can complain about it. Now, of course, it's kind of far-fetched that we would be able in, this takes place in the 1970s, right, to send parts up 
to the moon and assemble a base on the moon, but I'll go with it. It's an interesting idea. And also, they didn't want the Russians to know about it. Yeah, you say that, Chris, but I, I honestly think that it's it's um, it's because we just haven't really put the money to things. You know, I think we could do a lot. Oh, definitely. Yeah. But we yeah, just yeah. waste our money on stupid stuff. So, right. uh, but that don't let me get on my NASA soapbox and what Obama's doing right now with not funding it. So anyway, well, it's not just Obama; it's administrations going back years and years and years. So yeah, that haven't funded NASA yeah. properly. So so uh, he's just a the long just, it's yeah the latest the in a long quote. line like, of yeah we're not going to support so. our space program yeah yeah you know it just it only gave us velcro and the computers we use today no, and all the important you, stuff the vulcans gave us velcro well okay fine whatever and don't it, forget also that whole tang thing that we think we got that from nasa that was baylock it's actually Tranya. That is true. That is true. Tranya, so good. Anyway, <laughs> back to the comic, Chris. We're we're kind of wrapping up. Um, it turns out that as Kirk and this captain are talking, he begins to convulse and he falls on the floor. And it turns out it, as well that as Bones is is scanning him, he has got tumors everywhere, and the changes that had happened on the planet had helped fight those tumors and were keeping him alive. And they realized that the only way to keep him alive, instead of having him die very quickly, obviously, is to leave him back on the planet, um, which I thought was interesting. And, and this is where the, you know, the kind of twist comes in is, is, is you know, not exactly, obviously, who this is, but how it's going to play out. And I thought that it was great because, you know, um, a lot of times we got the TOS episodes where they wrapped up with a funny joke and right. everybody's laughing on the bridge and something really terrible has just happened. Like, right. you know, we've given weapons to both sides to create a bigger civil war. And instead, this one ends up on a note. Look, look, I we can't save this guy. There isn't anything we can do. Um, we've called Starfleet Medical in. They're going to send a ship out here to study this problem and hopefully they can help him. But if they can't, you know, we've done everything we can do, and, and Kirk is having a hard time leaving as soon as Bones of saying, well, you know, we want to be here to help this guy, but our job is to go forward and to explore forward, and sometimes we can't solve all the problems, which I thought was funny, Chris, because we've always talked about on the Red Room and here on the network that there's that little ship that yeah. follows Kirk and fixes all his bonehead little moves. cleanup ship, yeah. Literally, there's a ship that follow is going to follow Kirk because he called them because he's smart enough to say, I can't fix this, but maybe somebody at Starfleet could if we called them. So this Kirk is definitely learning some things, yeah. uh, and I really like that. So on a whole, I'd have to say, Chris, I, I think this comic was a lot of fun. I think that because of the storyline... Um, not necessarily being revolutionary, but very character focused here, giving lots of little nods, lots of insight to where these characters are going. The fact that we're finally on the five-year mission, we're on a place and on a planet and in a place in space that we've never been before in any of the universes yet was exactly what I think we've been wanting from the ongoing comics for a long time. Not that there hasn't been some great stuff. I, we both enjoyed the, the, the whole... Um, Kittimer series uh, and much more than the After Darkness series. It, they've yeah. done some great stuff. 
I hope that this vein continues. The artwork in here was fantastic. It was fanciful and fun. Felt very much like a throwback to the Gold Key comics while at the same time getting all the characterizations and the beauty of the HD artwork here, especially on our iPads, was great. Um, I'd give this uh, 7 out of 10 Decon rubdowns. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the comic as well for all the reasons that you said. I mentioned earlier that I can see lots of elements that we've seen before in different episodes. You know, when I read this, I see Metamorphosis, Tomorrow is Yesterday, The Royale, The 37s, Resolutions, elements of all these things being put together into this one story here. Also Teen Wolf, I should mention. But it's nice to see a, a new story, like you said. And the artwork is really nicely done. So I'm very hopeful for the future of the ongoing comics and for the five-year mission and therefore the next film as well. Because we're seeing them here being out on the five-year mission. And since Orsi has said that they're going to be in deep space on the five-year mission in the next film, this gives me some hope that we will see some new stuff and we're not going to be relying upon the original series. So since you took the Carol Marcus rating, I'm going to go simple here and I'm going to give this seven lost communicators being hoarded by space monkeys. Is that a resolution space monkey just for Tristan? It's not a resolution space monkey. It's his purple cousin on this planet who will, if Kirk and Carol Marcus revisit this world, we'll try to keep them apart because, you know, it runs in the family there with those monkeys. Dang those monkeys. <laughs> All right, Matthew. Well, I'm glad we got to go through this together. I was saving it for that. That's why I really didn't talk much about it during news when it came out. But this isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network over the past week. So here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.fm. Standard Orbit. I mean, to be fair, the commissioner has a point. You know, he's talking about how I think it's millions of lives are in jeopardy because he, they need to get this vaccine to them. And Kirk is like, this is a pretty crazy looking nebula. We should probably take a look at that thing. Earl Grey. Sir, there's another starship entering the zone. It's the <laughs> Enterprise. <laughs> <Wait>, Enterprise. <laughs> the Orb. It's never clear, like, is Kostomojan, is that the name of a person from long ago, or is it the name of a group of people? And so you're saying that in the prophet's language, Kostomojan is the name of the paw race. Right, that's what they call the paw race. The Ready Room. Sean Piller did a great idea. He was 23 years old when he wrote this episode. He solved a problem that the other writers had been struggling with for years. To the journey! Think about how horrible it would be perceived by the audience to see Neelix beaten up ruthlessly. Some people would really enjoy that. That's true. I'm talking about normal people with hearts and souls. Okay, so those people... <laughs> Warp 5. You know, Spock and Tuvok are two Vulcans. And so I feel like if you brought ten more into the room to say that they're all going to be the same is really a boring race. Commentary, Trek stars. This means that really now, sort of, the, the three of us are responsible for really 
getting the movie to, to, to what it's going to be. And, and there's a feeling, okay, what the movie we write is the movie that's going to get made, which is a, a really cool feeling, actually. Continuing mission. I wanted to tell a small story about people. Uh, I just felt like, let's let's talk about the people. Let's give the people a personality. Let's create a three-dimensional character. Melodic treks. But J- when J.J. Abrams came on, he was like, just in like casual <laughs> t-shirt and jeans t-shirt and, yeah and because he'd just come from the set of Star Wars yeah literary treks what happened to all of the artificial intelligences where'd they go 70 years had gone by I think by. Kirk killed them all he talked them he all did. to death yeah, yeah he had talked, he them, talked all to death. them all to death and that's what else is happening on trek.fm so check out all of these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. You can find us everywhere you get your podcasts. Just search for Trek.film or the name of the show you want to listen to. Also, get the Trek Film Complete Master Feed, which is a great way to sample all the shows on the network and find out which ones you love. And then you can grab those in the individual feeds as well if you'd like. And if you're getting your podcasts in the iTunes Store or on Stitcher... Remember that we're doing this reviews promotion, which I mentioned at the top of the show, and here is the detailed information. Reviews are really important to us because, first of all, we love hearing from you, but also the more reviews we have, the more we can rise up in iTunes and on Stitcher, and more Star Trek fans can find the show. We know it's not always convenient for you to leave a review at the time that you're listening to the show because you're probably not at a computer at that time, so we want to give you some added incentive We're giving away some great prizes, including a season of Star Trek on Blu-ray or DVD. That's a season of your choice. Some Star Trek novels. Those can be of your choice as well. Official Starships collection ship from Japan with the magazine in Japanese, which I can get for you here. And also a full collection of our alien art badges. And all you need to do to win is to review Literary Treks, or any of the shows that you listen to from Trek Film on iTunes and or Stitcher. Now, you can do it on both iTunes and on Stitcher, and each one of those will get you an entry in the drawing. You can also review the master feed. So if you've already reviewed Literary Treks, you can go review the master feed, and you can talk only about Literary Treks if you like, although I hope that you will talk about how the master feed brings you all the shows, and that will get you an entry as well. And remember, iTunes... Stitcher, both. You can review the same show on both, and that will get you two entries. Winners will be drawn at random from all entries received before midnight Pacific time on July 31st, and there are two steps to entering. First is to leave the review on iTunes and or Stitcher. Second is to go to trek.fm slash review and complete the form there. We'll ask you about who you are, what your screen names are on iTunes and on Stitcher, which shows you reviewed, and if it's iTunes, which country you reviewed the shows in, so we can find those. And that's all there is to it. And you'll get entered into the drawing, and then we'll be picking the winners at random after the contest closes on July 31st. So check out both of these places. Uh, Leave us some reviews. Help other fans find the show. Let us know what you think about the shows. And some great prizes could be on their way to you. And we'll be reading some of the reviews that we get on an upcoming episode of the show. So stay tuned for that. 
Now, if you would like to leave your feedback on today's show, let us know what you think about the books that are coming in 2015 or about the Lost Apollo comics or anything else in the world of Star Trek books and comics. There are a number of ways to do that. You can find us on Twitter. Our username is TrekFM. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash TrekFM. On Google+, we have a community. Just search for us there. We also have forums at trek.fm slash forums. You can send us a voicemail through the website, or you can use our contact form at trek.fm slash contact, and that will come to both Matthew and me by email. Now, Matthew, when you're not standing online waiting for your turn in the decon chamber, where can people find you? Well, Chris, you can find me on MattRushing02 with the Twitter. Um, I tweet there, so uh, hit me up, give me an at reply, let me know you're following, or just listen to the show, and we'll have a good conversation about anything of your choice. Chris, I also do The Orb with you, where we talk about Deep Space Nine all the time, so if you want to hear more Deep Space Nine talk, kind of like we had at the beginning of the show, definitely check us out there. We love doing that show. We're both huge fans of, of Deep Space Nine and all that it has to offer for Star Trek fans. Which people know after we spent 20 minutes talking about why we're not this getting DS9 tr- novels anymore. <laughs> this is true. Also, Chris, best thing I loved, listening to one of our other, our, our sister show, Commentary Trek Stars the other day, Chris, when they had the, the new writers for the new Star Trek film on, which is so exciting, finding out that they'd never watched Deep Space Nine, really, and oh, that yeah. the boys had talked them into watching it. Score! Just hoping that the new film turns out a little bit more like Deep Space Nine than it does Voyager. So there you go. Uh, so Mike and Max, maybe they could influence the next Star Trek film. That's right. That's right. So uh, if you haven't listened to that show, by the way, please go do that because it was fan-freaking-tastic. Yeah, go check it out. It was great having them on. Mike and Max had J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay, they talk for over an hour about their writing partnership, about other things they've written, about writing Star Trek as well. And there are a couple of other interviews out there that have been written, but these are the actual guys in their voices talking to Mike and Max, which is a great way to really get to know them. So go check that out and go spread the word and let people know. Commentary Trek Stars episode 87 has McKay and Payne right there for you. And then, Chris, of course, you can find me on my own personal blog at 42lifebetween.wordpress.com. Now, Chris, when you're not following Zara around on the ship, hoping she'll pull her phaser on you, where can we find you? That is one of my favorite euphemisms, Matthew. Aboard (laughs) (laughs) Abrams vs. Enterprise. (laughs) When someone pulls their phaser on you... It's a good thing. All right. Anyway, and that works both ways. But now you can find me on Twitter as well. My username <laughs> is C Brian Jones, the letter C and Brian with a Y. I'm also on Facebook, facebook.com slash C Brian Jones. And I have my own website as well, cbrianjones.com. And then on the network, in addition to the orb with Matthew, you can find me on all my other shows, The Ready Room, Warp 5, Continuing Mission, Matter Stream, Hyper Channel. I probably forgot one there. I, I do a lot of different Yeah, Chris, shows. I feel like you need more podcasts. <laughs> I need more so. podcasts. I do, yeah. I, I may be working on something else coming up soon, so stay tuned for that. <laughs> just so that you can get just so that you can get Larry on, right? <laughs> right, yeah, just so I can get Larry on. Um, well, actually, it's so I don't have to send Larry a t-shirt is what it is. I, I have to create uh, a new show that he hasn't been there you on go. so that he doesn't run the yeah. gamut and... Yeah, I, I we all t-shirts. work in the network. We don't even have t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. 
<laughs> so, so yeah, you can find me on all those shows if you'd like to find out what else I'm talking about. Before we let you go, one more thing here. We'd like to remind you about our sponsor, audible.com. You can get Yesterday's Sign or any other book that you like absolutely free for trying Audible at audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And you'll be helping the show out at the same time when you do that. That helps us host the show and distribute the show to you every month. So please go check them out. You're going to love Audible. audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we thank you for supporting them. And we thank Audible for supporting the show and the network. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.